When I went through separation and divorce, this church was here for me in a way that a church should be. 11 years ago, I went through a really difficult season and was invited to church and was just loved on. I never knew a community could love so well. When our our son was three, Silas, and he had Guillain-Barre syndrome and we were in the hospital, just people praying over us, praying over his healing and um, comforting us. It was something I, would, I will never forget. Good morning, everyone. Good to see you. Thanks for being here today. I want to welcome everyone who's joining us online, and I want to give an extra special welcome to anyone who might be a guest with us this weekend. Thanks for being here. If you got a Bible, let me hear your pages turning to the Gospel of John. And when you find the Gospel of John, find the 13th chapter. We're going to be looking at a variety of different passages this weekend. We don't have a single text for this message. We're looking at selected scriptures, but we're going to begin there in John chapter 13 in just a few minutes. As you just heard, and as you already know, we are in this special New Year's message series called Love Your Church, and I'll be honest, the reason why we're doing this is twofold. Number one, because I love the church so deeply, and we don't need to talk about that anymore. I've talked about that enough. But the second reason is also that while my time here at Mount Pleasant is coming to an end as I retire from full-time ministry, I am absolutely confident, and I mean this. I can say this with integrity. I am confident, and I am convinced that God has even greater plans for Mount Pleasant in the future. I'm talking about plans for growth. I'm talking about plans for influence and impact and on and on. But a critical part of that happening will be a church filled with people who love, genuinely love, and are committed to this church, this body of believers, this spiritual community. That is absolutely essential. I told you in the first week of this series that you can trust the leaders of this church as they seek God's will in finding the next senior pastor. That's our elders. They're faithful men. They love the Lord. They love this church. They understand the history and the culture and the DNA of this church, and God is leading them in this search. I hope that's something that you continue to pray about every single day uh, while that search is happening. Uh, but while that search is happening, we have the privilege of being reminded of how important it is to embrace belonging to the church and gathering together to worship as the church and welcoming others into the church. And as we're going to talk about this weekend, caring, genuinely caring for one another, but not just one another, but anyone that God brings into this church. In fact, that's so important. Before we do anything else, let's just uh, do something a little bit different this morning, and let's pause, and let's just pray about this before uh, we go any further. Father in heaven, we just bow our hearts before you today because we are so grateful to you for all of the love and the grace and the mercy you pour into our lives and our families and into our church. And we're so grateful that in your mind, you created the church, this spiritual body that we can all be a part of. And I pray that you would help us to love the church well, love your church well, which means love one another well, and then take advantage of every opportunity the church gives us. And I pray today that you'll help us to have a deeper understanding of what it means to be a caring church. And we pause also this morning, we pray for those men who have been tasked with the responsibility of, of looking to the future of this church. We pray you give them wisdom and insight, fill them with your spirit. We pray that you would open doors and close doors 
It can be a difficult search. It can be a painful search at times. But I pray that you would open doors and close doors. And in the end, the absolute right person to lead Mount Pleasant into the next chapter of ministry will be the one that is chosen. And all the honor and all the glory will go to you and you alone. And this is our prayer together in Jesus' name. And everyone agreed and said, amen. Amen. I hope you mean that. When you take time to study the church in the first century, both in the New Testament and just in church history in general, you find that one of the most remarked upon aspects of the church is how the people cared for one another. In fact, those words, one another, are so significant when it comes to the local church. We've touched on that briefly in the past couple of weeks as we talked about the privilege of gathering together for worship. One of the things that happens when we gather together for worship is it gives us a face-to-face opportunity to practice many of the different one another instructions of the New Testament. And it's those one another instructions of the New Testament that demonstrate the priority and the importance of caring for our brothers and sisters in the community of the local church or the fellowship of the local church. But as I said earlier, not just our brothers and sisters who are a part of the church, but anyone that comes into the church. And the fact that there are so many different one another instructions in the New Testament uh, really should strike all of us about how important this is. In fact, you could go so far as to say that the fact that there are so many different one another instructions in the New Testament teaches us that following these one another instructions is non-negotiable for every believer. You can't pull up a list of the one another instructions of the New Testament and go through them and check the ones that you're good with and then make a line through the ones that, yeah, I'm not interested in that. They're non-negotiables for all of us. Now, you can find different lists of the one another instructions in the New Testament, and some lists are longer than others based on different criteria, but let's just take a minute in the introduction of our message to just consider some of those passages and uh, how broad and extensive they are. Some of the ones from my NIV Bible will not specifically use the language one another, but that's just the nuance of the NIV translation that I'm reading from, but you see the meaning. And that brings us to John 13, verses 34 and 35, where we're gonna start. So if you've got your Bible open there and you're able, go ahead and stand with me and let's read the scripture together. These are very familiar instructions. This is Jesus speaking, and he says, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples. Say the last part with me. If you love one another. All right, there it is. You can be seated. We always ask that God would bless the reading and the hearing of his word. But as we start in John 13, verses 34 and 35, we need to go on from there. And we see, for example, Romans 12, 10. That says, be Devoted to one another in brotherly love, honor one another above yourselves. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 25, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other or for one another. Galatians 5.13, you, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. Galatians 6.2, carry each other's burdens, and in the same way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. And so we are to bear one another's burdens. Ephesians 4.32, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other as, as in Christ God forgave you. Philippians 2.3, do nothing out of selfish ambition 
or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Colossians 3, 9, do not lie to each other. 1 Thessalonians 4, 18, therefore encourage each other or encourage one another with these words. 1 Thessalonians 5, 15, make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always try to be kind to each other and to everyone else. Hebrews 10, 24, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. James 4, 11, brothers, do not slander one another. 1 Peter 4, 9, offer hospitality to one another. 1 John 4, 7, dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. 1 John 4, 12, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is made complete in us. I'm gonna stop right there. That's certainly not all the one another instructions of the New Testament. That's not even half of them. But it gives you a pretty good picture of how comprehensive these one another instructions are. And the one thing I want you to notice in particular is that we started looking at these different passages in the Gospel of John, then we went to Romans, then we went to the book of 1 Corinthians, then it went to Galatians and Ephesians and Philippians, then 1 Thessalonians, then Hebrews, then James, then 1 Peter, then 1 John. One of the fundamental rules of hermeneutics, which is a word to describe the principles that we use when we study the Bible, is that you pay attention to repetition. When you read your Bible, you pay attention to repetition. Because remember, this isn't an ordinary book. This was a book written by God. And if God repeats something over and over and over again, a good example would be our communion meditation this morning when Andrew just gave us a couple of examples in the scriptures where it says, God remembered. You pay attention to those things because there's something significant to learn from them. I'll be honest, when I read all of these one another instructions of the New Testament, I feel inspired. Just going through that short list, that's inspiring to me. I felt inspired all week looking at these things and I feel like I'm ready to go out into the world and be the most caring person that ever lived. <laughs> like it's a competition, you know? But oftentimes what happens is I go out in the world and somewhere along the way, I lose my inspiration. Has that ever happened to you? You feel inspired by the scriptures or by a particular message from some passage in the scriptures to love people and to serve people and to be generous with people and on and on and on. Then you come face to face with people and it's a different story. Last week on the day I spent most of my time writing this message, I began the day with a great devotional time. I, I, try to, I had try to have a devotional time every morning. I, I, I can't tell you that there aren't days that I miss, but I, when, when I'm following a normal schedule, I try to have a devotional time every morning. And I, I will kind of rotate the different devotions that I use. Uh, but right now I've been using a devotion called Truth for Life that comes from the writing and the preaching of a man named Alistair Begg, who's been a senior pastor of Parkside Church near Cleveland, Ohio, for around 40 years. Anyway, this particular devotion, this last Tuesday, this particular devotion was based on the words of Colossians 3, 17. What a great verse, Paul says. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. What a great verse, right? I mean, what a great verse. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And I love that devotion so much that it inspired me to go to my Twitter account and tweet a portion of something that I read. And so this is what it was. We are called to honor God wherever we are. Consider what might change in how you think and what you do in every moment 
if, if in every moment you ask yourself, now what would Jesus have me do here? How can I praise his name, name and bring him pleasure in this moment? Man, I was fired up, ready to go. I got to work and looked at my to-do list, and the first thing on my to-do list was to return emails. And things started to go pretty far south from there. Second thing on my to-do list was to try to reschedule an airline flight. And after I typed that last email and hung up the phone, I pretty much forgot about thinking about what would Jesus do here, or how can I praise his name and bring him pleasure in this moment? How many of you can relate to that? I'm just telling you, it's hard on a practical level to live out this instruction from the scriptures, no matter what it's about. And what we're talking about specifically today is these one another instructions that give us opportunities to demonstrate in tangible ways a genuine love and care and concern for one another and everyone else that comes into our path. And oftentimes, our theoretical commitment to things like the one another instructions of the Bible that lead to genuinely caring for people is not usually prepared for the real issues and the real burdens and the real struggles that come from real people. But this commitment is not a private affair. In other words, it's not something that's simply meant to give us an inspirational feeling when we're alone with God. My feeling last Tuesday morning after I finished my devotional time, the inspiration and how fired up I felt for God, that wasn't enough. That didn't check the box for what God expected from me that day. And so we've got to find a way to put these things into practice no matter how difficult the circumstance or how difficult the moment or how difficult sometimes the people so let's spend the rest of our time doing this. Let's just talk about some really simple but incredibly practical things that we can do in order to help us be, genuinely be, in, in attitude and in action, the caring people, the caring church that God calls us to be, which is a part of the privilege of being a connected to a local church. It's caring for others. That's part of the privilege that we need to embrace in this message series. So I just got some real simple things. Some of them we'll talk about in a little bit more detail than others, but I'm going to try to move through them quickly. I went a little bit long last night, and I'm going to try not to do that this morning, but I can't make any promises. Write this down, number one, if you'd like to take notes. We want to do this the way that the Bible instructs us to, then we need to pursue the mind of Christ. Every day, we should make an effort to, in some way, pursue the mind of Christ. Look at these words on the screen. This is Philippians 2.3. We read this verse earlier. It was a part of that list of one another verses we looked at. The apostle Paul writes and says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, everyone say humility, humility, consider others better than yourself. This is a powerful verse of scripture. And in our context this weekend, the key word here is humility. That's the key word. When it comes to pursuing the mind of Christ, the key word here 
is humility. And I'll show you why here in a minute. It's easy to approach the one or other instructions focusing on all the things we should do for our brothers and sisters in Christ or for the people that we come in contact with. And that's not completely wrong because we are instructed to do different things like love one another, serve one another, carry one another's burdens, forgive one another, etc. But here's what we have to understand. Before we do anything for one another, God calls us to feel something toward one another. And we see that in this verse. Paul says, again, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, here it is, this is what we feel towards one another, consider others better than yourself. And this is so critical, friends, because it's possible for us in many circumstances to obey the one another instructions of the New Testament externally with a heart that is not really committed or with a heart that at the very least, we can go through the motions of love, of, of practicing the one another scriptures, but if our heart is not fully committed or if our heart is divided, then there's something significant that's missing. And so what's the answer? The answer is every day we make it our goal to try to in some way pursue the mind of Christ, which really means to pursue the heart of Christ, which is critical when it comes to engaging other people. While we're still in Philippians 2, I'm going to look back at verse 3. We just read it a moment ago, but I'm going to continue to read through the passage all the way down to the very first part of verse 7. You can see it on the screen. So here we go. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. The key word again is this word humility, because humility creates this others-oriented attitude that helps us do all the things that the one another instructions tell us to do, but to do them from the heart, not just to go through the motions like we're following some list of rules, but to do them from the heart. But you, you have to be humble. That requires humility. I found this great quote this week. It says, humility puts a pair of eyeglasses on the soul, allowing us to see others without the blurring of selfishness. Think about this in relation to what Paul is saying about Jesus in Philippians chapter 2. The humility Jesus demonstrated when he came into the world, if we look at it on a practical level, the humility that Jesus demonstrated when he came into the world created for Jesus a downward path. A downward path that he was willing to follow. Listen again. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God did not... being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. And this is what it means to pursue the mind of Christ or the heart of Christ, to see the value of embracing that same downward path. Because life as a believer, life as a Christian is not about exalting self. Life as a believer, we're taught over and over again in the scriptures, is about humbling yourself and serving others and loving others and caring for others. And so, 
this humility of Jesus enabled him or allowed him to go low so that he could lift others high. And that's what we're pursuing. The ability in our lives to go low in order to lift others high. And so if we're gonna be a genuinely caring church that makes a positive spiritual impact on each other's lives, then we have to make sure that we never look down on each other, that we always look up at each other. We never look down on each other. We look up to love. We look up to serve. We look up to forgive. We look up to bear burdens and on and on. We can't do that with our own mind. We can do it when we have the mind of Christ. We can't do that with our own heart, at least not for very long. We might be able to do it for a time, but it's not sustainable. But we can do it when we have the heart of Christ. And so, the first thing we need to do if we want to be genuinely caring in our lives individually and in our lives collectively as the church is have this commitment every day in some way to pursue the mind of Christ, which is the heart of Christ, the humility of Christ that created a downward path for him so that he could go low in order to lift others high. Here's the second thing. Write this down. We need to welcome everyone like Christ welcomed you. Welcome everyone like Christ welcomed you. I'm going to put Romans 15, 7 up on the screen. We'll use this one another instruction for this point. <clears throat> My NIV Bible says, accept everyone then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. And of course, you can easily say, welcome everyone because that word except there can easily be translated welcome. In fact, it is translated welcome in many other translations beyond my 1984 NIV. So welcome everyone then just as Christ welcomed you in order to bring praise to God. Practicing the one another instructions of the New Testament begins with this mind and attitude of humility. We just talked about that. But then from there, it moves to our eyes. From our mind to our eyes to who we see. Uh, from our eyes to our mouths to what we say, from our mouths to our hands to how we reach out and actually respond to needs. You take this one another instruction from Romans 15, 7 that says, accept everyone then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God and you, you understand the significance of our attitude and our heart moving to action. That word accept in my NIV Bible, which is also translated welcome in some translations, that word accept is the Greek word proselambano. You can see it on the screen, proselambano, which is really just an intensified version of the word lambano, the latter part of the word. And what it literally means, if you translate it, is to take with a hand. And so when it says accept or welcome everyone then, just as Christ accept or welcome you, it says take them by the hand. So it's not just a nod, an affirmation or acknowledgement of someone's presence. It's much more than that. It's a connection. Literally, it would be described by taking someone by the hand. But it's even more than that because it's personal. It's personal. A good example would be uh, one of the stories that we find in the Gospels over and over again is, uh, or not over and over again, but in all of the Gospels, in multiple Gospels, is the story of Jesus and Peter when Jesus was telling the disciples what was going to happen to him. He said, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to suffer at the hands of the chief priests and the elders. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to die. Remember that story? He told them that. And uh, 
I've got a verse from the gospel of Mark and Mark's version of that here. Uh, when Peter heard that, if you remember, he was troubled by that. I mean, the rest of the disciples, they didn't really, they, they were dense. They didn't know, really understand what he was saying, but Peter was troubled by that. You know, I got to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to die. And then he, remember, Jesus, uh, Peter pulled Jesus aside and said, that is never going to happen to you. Well, here's how that is uh, described in Mark chapter 8 and verse 32. It says, he, and this is a reference to Jesus, he spoke plainly about this. So Jesus spoke plainly to the disciples about what was going to happen in the future, how he was going to suffer and how he was going to die. And the verse goes on to say, and Peter took him aside. That's the Greek word proslambano. This word that we're talking about for welcome and accept. And Peter took him aside privately, face-to-face, earnestly, and began to rebuke him. Remember that? And as a result, Jesus looked at Peter, and this was one of the lowest moments in Peter's life. He looked at Peter and said, get behind me, Satan, because you don't have in mind the things of God. You have in mind the things of men. Get behind me, Satan, because you don't understand spiritual things the way you need to. But the idea behind this welcome, this proslambano, is that it's deliberate and it's specific and it's personal and it's face-to-face. This is the kind of welcome that we're supposed to offer to one another and to others. Now, obviously, there are times when the welcome doesn't need to be that detailed, but there are many many moments, especially when somebody's walking through a difficult time in life and a difficult season in life where caring about them will make an impact on their life. We saw some examples of this in the testimony before the message where this is the kind of welcome that we need to offer. Sometimes it can be uncomfortable. Sometimes it can be messy, but it is always personal. It is always real and it's always deliberate. Again, it's not just welcome in the sense of nodding to someone or shaking their hand or saying hello to people, especially that you're comfortable with. It's receiving and embracing and spending time with, associating with anyone and everyone. It's welcoming others the same way Jesus welcomed you and me. And if Jesus was willing to leave heaven and all the position of heaven and all the authority of heaven, which is what he did, we saw that in that Philippians chapter 2 passage, and come into the world taking on human flesh to, 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 to set the stage to welcome genuinely, warmly, lovingly welcome sinners like you and sinners like me, then certainly we can do this for the people that we encounter. It's a part of following Jesus. I'll think back to that Philippians passage, which is so powerful, that Philippians 2 passage that we looked at in the first point. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Now, this is the part, pay attention. Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very uh, position of a servant. Jesus willingly gave up his heavenly position and his heavenly authority, all the privileges of heaven to come into the world and welcome you and me. And you know why Jesus was willing to do this? This, this word, when it says, uh, who, uh, where is that on the screen? Let me look. Uh, who, being in very nature God. This word nature right there, this won't come up on the PowerPoint, but that's the Greek word morphe. And it really describes an inward reality, an inward reality. 
And so why was Jesus, the king of heaven, why was Jesus, the creator of the world, able to go low, come into the world, take the position of a servant to welcome people like you and me? Because no matter what he looked like doing that, it never changed who he was on the inside. Never changed his nature on the inside. And no matter how difficult or uncomfortable or awkward it may be at times to give this kind of loving, warm, genuine, sincere welcome to others, especially in difficult moments, no matter what that, that does to you or causes, no matter how that causes you to feel, and no matter what that may make you look like compared to what you want to look like, it won't matter because on the inside, you're still that follower of Jesus who is doing for others the same thing that Jesus did for you. And when we embrace that and understand that, then we, then we ratchet up our ability to be a caring church a thousand percent. Here's the third thing. We've got to move quickly. Speak the words of Christ. We need to pursue the mind of Christ. We need to welcome others like Jesus welcomed us. We need to speak the words of Christ. I'll put Colossians 3.16 up on the screen. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. You know what? Here, here's, let's just cut to the chase and try to get through this point quickly. Here's the thing we need to understand. As Christians, we are word people. Word people. What does that mean? It means that there's a part of our lives that needs to be understood, and that is that we are speaking People. This is who we are. It's a part of what we do. We speak words to one another. You see that in this verse, Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you do what? As you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. First Thessalonians 5.11. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up. And one of the ways we do that is through the words that we speak. Hebrews 3.13. But encourage one another daily. We do that through the words we speak. We speak instruction, encouragement, admonishment, comfort, honor, and you can go on and on and on. And we don't just speak them. The Bible says that we are to sing them as well. That's why when we come together as a spiritual body, we sing words of praise to God. It's part of who we are. Regardless of anything else that we're challenged to do in the scriptures, we are we have to understand that we are also challenged to be stewards of our words and stewards of the words we speak to others. We do that best when we speak the words of Jesus to others. Now, that doesn't mean you have to memorize and speak them specifically the same way Jesus did, but when you take the words of Jesus that he speaks to you in the scriptures and you speak those words to other people, sometimes you might speak the very words of Jesus. But the bottom line is, our words and our conversations need to be seasoned with the words of Jesus. Somebody asked me um, not long ago how many funerals I thought I had done over the past 40 plus years. And you know what? I kind of regret that I never uh, kept a record of all the weddings and funerals and those kinds of things, the people I baptized and, and all those kinds of things, because it would be cool just to have that to look back. And if I could go back in time, maybe I would do it differently next time. But I, I have no idea but there have been a lot. I have done a lot of funerals over the last 40 plus years. And there have been so many moments, and I'll just describe it like this, because this happened just recently. There'd be so many moments when I would stand right here. I'm talking about right here in this building. And there's a casket right here and it's open and somebody's loved one is lying there. And you're standing there. This is before the, the visitation happens for everybody. And it's just family and it's just there. And it's so emotional and so tender and so raw. 
And sometimes you can look at the, the, the person in the casket and the funeral home did just a nice job preparing them for the funeral and they, they, they look good in that sense. Sometimes you see a body that's been ravaged by sickness and disease and it's just heartbreaking. It's just a reminder of the suffering that they went through. But I stand here with family and they're grieving. What's the best thing I could say to them in those moments? Something clever that I think up? No. I can stand and say, like I did just recently with somebody, I can say, you know, as we look at, and I won't even say the name, in this casket, we're so thankful for the words of the Apostle Paul, which are the words of Jesus. God inspired every word of the Bible. The words of the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 5.1 when he says, now we know that if this earthly tent we live in is destroyed. We have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built with human hands. And we can be so thankful to know that that's not your loved one anymore. That's just a tent. That's just a tent. That's just the temporary tent that they lived in, in this world. And that they are in the presence of the Lord today. How grateful and how thankful we are for that. Because that's the beauty of that analogy. Now we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, because that's all our bodies are. The Bible says all our bodies are, are, are just earthly tents. And here's the things about here the, the thing about tents, they're temporary dwelling places, right? Are you a camper? You know, everybody has the experience of camping, at least if it's just a pup tent in the backyard when you were a kid. Some people pull extravagant tents down the road behind their truck on the way to a campsite, you know, but no matter how nice it may be, it's still just a temporary dwelling. And here's the thing about tents, the, the longer we have them, the older they get, the more they begin to sag and fray, and that's the same thing about our bodies. In fact, I look out here, and some of you worse than others. <laughs> some of us worse than others. But it's just a temporary place. So how, how appropriate is it then to speak those words from Jesus? Now we and notice the certainty of the Apostle Paul. Now we know that if this earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built with human hands. I, the best thing I have to say are not the words of Chris, but the words of Christ. And that's what we do with one another. We are to speak the words of Jesus to each other, and that's how we care for one another. We are to speak words that are even beyond our ability to sometimes completely understand, but we speak them with the promise that they're always true, and God will reveal that in the course of time. Number four, write this down. We show the love of Christ. So many of the one another verses in the scriptures talk about uh, the love of, of Christ that we're supposed to show to others. First Thessalonians 5.5 5 says, always be kind to each other and to everyone else. Galatians 6.2 says, carry each other's burdens and this way you will fulfill the law of Christ and the law of Christ is love. And so here's the point here. We love one another, but loving, is, loving others is so much of the time, so much more than just an emotion. It's demonstrated in the things that we do in tangible ways. Our words express love, and they're wonderful, they're welcoming, but our love is not just limited to the words, it's limited to things we do, and we see that in the life of Jesus, because Jesus didn't just speak to people, he touched them. Sometimes he touched people that no one else would even get close to. He delivered them uh, from different kinds of possessions. He ate with them. He healed them. You could go on and on and on. The example uh, applies to us today. Let's be honest. The kind of welcome, the kind of service uh, that love demonstrates to people when love is demonstrated in action is so profound because it's one thing to speak comforting words of love to someone who is sorrowful. It's another thing to sit long hours with someone who is sorrowful. It's one thing to... Uh, 
encourage someone who's carrying a heavy burden to express the love that you have for them and that Jesus has for them as they're carrying a heavy burden. It's another thing to pick up that burden and help them carry it in some tangible way. And this is the kind of thing that will interrupt your schedule and interrupt your life and interrupt your plans, and that's what makes it so significant. And then finally, number five. I got 22 seconds left on the clock. We extend the grace of Christ. We extend the grace of Christ. Ephesians 4.2 says, Be completely, hum completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Those words are dripping with the grace of Christ. Bearing with one another in love. Ephesians 4.32, Be kind and compassionate to one another. Note this, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Those words are dripping with the grace of Christ, the grace of God. And of all the things we've talked about so far, and that is... Um, Having pursuing the mind of Christ, giving the warm welcome of Christ, speaking the powerful words of Christ, being the hands of Christ in specific things we do, none of those things are as powerful as extending to other people the grace of Christ. And one of the things that means is oftentimes the greatest opportunities that we'll have to genuinely care for other people will be in moments where it feels like it's the hardest thing to do. When you think about the grace of Christ, for example, manifested in bearing with someone who has worn you out, or you think about extending the grace of Christ to someone who has hurt you, betrayed you, wounded you, but you're giving them genuine forgiveness, this is what makes the grace of Christ so significant and so powerful and at times so difficult. I think about the parable of the prodigal son and how heartbroken and betrayed that father felt when his youngest son demanded his inheritance early and then went off and squandered it all on excessive sinful living. And when he came back home hoping to be nothing more than a hired man in his father's house, his father just lavishly poured his grace out upon him. But you know that he had to overcome the heartbreak and the disappointment of the betrayal in order to do that. But that's what he did. He extended the grace of Christ in that moment. That's the whole point of that story. In real life terms, you think about how when Jesus was at the lowest moment of his life, then Peter, who professed to be faithful even unto death, betrayed him and denied him three separate times. When Jesus needed him the most, Peter wasn't there. And yet when Jesus rose from the dead, remember what he did? He had a special word of of announcement for Peter, and then you go to John chapter 21, and for every time Jesus, uh, Peter denied knowing Jesus, Jesus gave Peter the opportunity to say to him, you know I love you, Lord. You know I love you. Now, in his humanity, Jesus' heart had to have been broken at Peter's betrayal, but he extended him grace. And this is what we're all called to do, friends, and it's sometimes so very difficult. In fact, when I came to this part of my message last week, I, I, I went over to my bookshelves and I started just looking for books and I wanted to try to find some kind of a contemporary illustration of grace to just top this all off. One of the books I got off my shelf was a book by Philip Yancey called What's So Amazing About Grace. You may be familiar with it and I was shocked to realize it was almost 30 years old now. Well, I was flipping through the pages looking for a story or an illustration. I found something that I had written in the margin of one of the chapters, and I wrote these words. Those of us who have been Christians for a long time can explain grace 
We just can't convey it. And sometimes, sadly, that's the truth. I can explain grace to anybody. I can, I can spend a long time explaining grace in detail to someone, but there are times when I can't convey it. There are people that I withhold grace from right now because they have offended me, betrayed me, hurt me, wounded me, etc., etc., etc. But what I'm forgetting about in those moments is that while I'm withholding grace from them because I don't think they deserve it, I don't deserve it either. And neither do you. And if there's someone in your life, maybe someone even in this church, that you're withholding grace from, that you're not extending grace to because you don't think they deserve it, then here's a reminder. Neither do you. None of us do. In fact, that's the way we explain grace. One of the most powerful ways we explain grace is something that no one deserves. But because of the love and the mercy of God, through Jesus, he extends it to us. So let's think about the different things we've talked about that would make any church a welcoming church. We pursue the mind of Christ. We welcome people the way Christ welcomes us. We speak to people the words of Christ. We show the love of Christ. We demonstrate it in tangible acts of service and we extend the grace of Christ. There are only so many things that we can do as a church to facilitate all of those things for you. And we do as a church. We're pretty good at it. We, we plan these all church activities, these all church opportunities that give you a chance to do many of those things. Like love your neighbor weekends, for example. But here's the thing. The church will only be the kind of church, the kind of caring church that God wants it to be when all of us embrace the responsibility to do all of these things on our own. On our own. That means you and I individually have to embrace the responsibility of caring about others. And a church filled with people who genuinely care about others will be a church that honors God and accomplishes significant things for the kingdom of God. Lord, we love you and we're so grateful for our time in the scriptures today. And I pray you would just speak to our hearts this morning about all of these things. Convict us and challenge us. Thank you. Thank you for, who, for, for, for how you have loved us how you love us each and every day. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your words, your kindness. Thank you for the way you care about us. We celebrate that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.